Please open your Bibles today to the book of Mark, chapter 3. Mark, chapter 3. Before I begin reading the scripture, I'd like to say happy Mother's Day to all you mothers here today. And in honor of Mother's Day, I thought I'd preach on a passage where Jesus does slightly touch on the issue of of motherhood and family. This is in Mark chapter 3. I particularly want to preach on verses 31 through 35. But as I study this passage, you'll notice in verse 31, the very first word in the New King James is then. That's the way it's translated. But actually it should be therefore. And as you've often heard, The word therefore is because there's something important that preceded the passage. To understand this passage, starting in verse 31, I need to read verse 20 and following. Because it sets the context. There's a lot of themes that run together and they they escalate to this point here in verse 31. Therefore, we'll understand this passage about his brothers and his mother. And as I read, I'm going to read from... Uh, a rather literal translation that will pick up on some themes of the word of how people come to Jesus. One of the main themes here is they are coming to Jesus. You'll see this, a repetition of this word over and over in the passage. And there's a house theme in this passage as well. And we'll all put it together in the sermon. Mark chapter 3 verse 20 says, Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they came out to lay hold of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub. And by the ruler of demons, he cast out demons. So Jesus called them to himself and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house. Surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven to sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemies the, against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but, has, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. Therefore, his brothers and his mother came. And standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him. And they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him. And he said, here are my mother. And my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray you'll give us your wisdom and insight as we apply this passage of Scripture to our hearts. It's in Christ's name we give you thanks and praise. 
Amen. Well, as I mentioned to you earlier in, in, verse 20, in verse 31, it begins with the word, therefore, because it's picking up on a theme that came earlier. You'll notice in verse 20 of this passage of Scripture, the multitudes come to Jesus. In verse 21, one translation says, friends came to Jesus, or those he knew came to him to lay hold of him and to seize him. It's very likely that these are, this is alluding to what happened in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus was healing, going and bringing healing elsewhere and doing other things. And the people of Nazareth were so angry that Jesus was going outside and that Jesus, they wanted to keep Jesus to themselves. They didn't want to share the Savior's mercies with others. And then in verse 22, there's another coming to Jesus. In verse 22, the scribes come down from Jerusalem. Now, there's, a literal, there's a literal down here, meaning Jerusalem is high. And they usually look down on people below them. So they come down there into Galilee to see Jesus, to inspect Jesus. And then they accuse him of having Satan, of being Satan. By the power of Satan, he is casting out Satan. That's where Jesus starts to argue. So the point is, you can see that there's a lot of coming to Jesus, and that's why Mark says, therefore, even his local family, even his blood family came to him, his brothers and his mother. So the context is, set, is, is getting you ready to hear this conversation about his mother and brothers, or who is his mother and brothers. Secondly, in this context, as I've mentioned, there's this subject matter of the house. Uh, look, I didn't read this passage, but look at chapter 3, verse 19. In verse 19... This concludes this list of disciples, the 12 disciples. And how does Mark conclude this list? In verse 19, he talks about Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And he says they went into a house. The subject matter here is that Jesus is accumulating a new family. There's a new type of house, house building project that's going on. And that's why... Later, whenever Jesus Christ talks, argues with the, the scribes and Pharisees who are accusing him of having Satan, he talks about the house being divided itself. It cannot stand. And then Jesus says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he binds a strong man. What Jesus is talking about here is that it's as if Satan has a house and Satan is a strong man and he has goods that he has in his house. Jesus is stronger than Satan. Jesus comes into the house of the devil, into the house of hell, and he binds a strong man, and now he's plundering that strong man's house. He is taking people out of Satan's grip. That's what he is arguing for, and that's why he is not casting out Satan by the power of Satan. He's casting out Satan by the power of God. That's the reasoning, and that is... His argument. And this is why Jesus will talk about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Because when, John, when Mark wrote this book, he's writing this book during the time of the, of the Acts of the Apostles. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is out there building a new house. The Holy Spirit is bringing in people into the church. And that's when the Jews or looking at the church, accusing the work of the Spirit to be the work of the devil. And that's why it's, a, it's an unforgivable sin, because when they go against the Holy Spirit, 
They are actually excluding themselves from forgiveness. They are actually hardening their hearts so much that they are not going to repent and they become enemies of the church. And of course, if they repented and if they came to Christ, then they would be forgiven. But it's the type of sin that it's they kill Christ on the cross. Well, you can repent of that. In the book of Acts, they do. They repent of that and they find for forgiveness. But then the whole Holy Spirit comes down and then they continue to assault the church. They continue to persecute the church. After all that evidence, it shows you how hard their heart is hardened. And therefore, they're going against the new house of God, the new family of God. Now they're, they're serious enemies of God. And that's why they've hardened their hearts so much, they will not receive the forgiveness of God. And so that's the context here of why the unpardonable sin is mentioned here with the house, the family of God, and the context here. This leads us now to what happens after the therefore in verse 31. In verse 31, he says, therefore, his brothers and his mothers, mothers, sorry, his brothers and singular, his mother. His mother came to him. But look, notice this. This is interesting. They were standing outside and they sent to him calling him. Now, there may be a house, a literal house where he is sitting inside a structure but it doesn't say it. It just says that they were outside or there they were without is another translation. The reason why I'm saying this is because it's some type of house. It could be a structural house, but when you think about it, there's probably several hundred people following Christ right now. How can you fit all hundred so people into a physical structure like this? The, the, the type of building that may be here that, John, that Mark is speaking about is simply the circle of friends, the circle of followers. They are sending Jesus' mother and his brothers most likely are outside the crowd. It's not a house building. It's a house crowd. There's a crowd around Jesus. They're not among the crowd. They're out there. They're way over there. They send some messengers in and say, Jesus, come over here. So it's likely that... It may not be a house he's in, but they're outside the crowd. And Jesus takes this opportunity to say, who is my mother? Who, is my, who are my brothers? And he points to, to the people all around him. What's going on here, y'all? What is happening here with his mother and brothers not joining the crowd at this particular time, but trying to pull Jesus away from that crowd that he is surrounded with? Well, when you think about it, Jesus Christ has been healing people. He has been feeding people. He is becoming very popular, so popular that even the scribes come down from Jerusalem to accuse him and inspect what he's doing. Let me give you some, some language here to help understand what's happening. Jesus is becoming like a new celebrity. He's becoming very famous at this time. He's actually rising on the social status of society. All eyes upon him are right now upon him. And so those closest to him may find an opportunity to promote themselves. This is actually how sinful and insecure humanity works. People like to use the popularity of others to promote themselves 
in the eyes of others. You see this with kids on the playground. Kids on the playground want to play with the popular kid in school so they can become more popular. Politicians, when they run for office, they want to surround themselves with celebrities, people who are popular. So they they themselves can piggyback upon that popularity. You see this with his own people, it says in verse 21, when they laid hold of Jesus Christ, saying, you're out of your mind, they're trying to pull Jesus Christ, like, like Nazareth, to himself. They're not trying to kill him right there, not yet. But there's something about Jesus they want to have for themselves. This is most likely what Jesus' brothers were intending to do. Jesus' brothers at this time in history did not believe he was the Messiah. This is what John says in chapter 7, verse 2. He says, His brothers said to Jesus, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may see the works that you are doing. For no one can do anything you're doing. No, no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to make himself known publicly. Meaning this, Jesus, you're becoming popular. Go down there in Jerusalem and do it in front of everybody. You become more popular. And then his brother said this, If you do these things, show yourself to the world, Jesus. Go to Jerusalem and do it. And John says this, For even his brothers did not believe in him. They wanted to encourage Jesus to go and promote himself, make himself more popular, become more, much more of a celebrity. And by doing that, his brothers would even become more popular. It shows you the vanity, the selfishness that his brothers had. So that it wasn't because they had faith that he said, they said, go to Jerusalem. They, didn't have, they did not have faith in him at that time in history. And they didn't understand his calling. So these people here are perverting Jesus's social status for their own status. They're using his high social status to promote themselves. And that's why the whole crowd is there and people are trying to pull Jesus to themselves. Now, let me talk about two things. I'm going to talk about Jesus's boldness. And also, I'm going to talk about Jesus's boundaries. This is a simple point, two simple points for the rest of this passage. He says this, these people in front of me who do the will of God, these are, this is my mother and my brothers and my sisters. He says the sisters in, Ch- in, Ch- in Matthew version of the account. Why is this so bold? Why is this radically profound? Number one, you see this, that there's a distinction between Jesus' blood family and his spiritual family. Yes, Mary was a virgin whenever she gave birth to Jesus. After she gave birth to Jesus... Mary and Joseph had other children, boys and girls. Jesus grew up with siblings. The first application you can bring from this is that it's a very false doctrine and superstition to believe in what's called the perpetual virginity of Mary. Meaning some people believe actually that Mary was a virgin for the rest of her life, even after she gave birth to Jesus Christ. That's false. That's a total lie. It's a superstition. Okay, it's very clear in this passage of Scripture. These are Jesus' blood family, blood relatives there that he grew up with. So you can lay that whole superstition aside. Secondly, 
What Jesus says right here, the reason why it's so bold, is that it, it strikes a nerve of his cultural context. I'm going to try to illustrate how, how revolutionary, how hard it is of a saying that he's saying right here. Because notice this, the Jewish people, they really idolized their Jewish heritage. The Jews at this time in history especially, they took tremendous pride in their family traditions, in their family promises, their family land, the Jewish real estate that they own, the promises given to Abraham, all of the inspired scripture from the Old Testament was directed toward the Jewish people. And so they had tremendous pride in their background, in their tribes, in their traditions, um, all that they inherited from, from the past. Now, this is not simply a Jewish thing. You think about this. Every people group, every tribe, every nation, Every ethnicity in history, they like to pride themselves on who they are, their grandfathers were, what they've accomplished in the past. You think about it, the Persians, when they dominated the world and subdued all tribes, they tried to put everything under the Persian Empire. The Babylonians tried to do the same thing. The Greeks loved their history. The Greeks loved their gods, their heroes. Alexander the Great conquers the world, and he brings Greek civilization to the world. When the Romans conquered, they tried to preserve their traditions, their families, their customs, and they were proud that Julius Caesar could conquer all the Gauls and, and dominate the world. Let me give you some recent earthly or modern examples about tradition, about family heritage, and how fanatical this can get. It's, part, it's hard to get probably more, more fanatical than the Japanese were before World War II. Leading up to World War II, the Japanese culture was some of the most fanatical and zealous uh, faith and tradition blended together in the Japanese culture. Religion and culture became one. And that's why they were so determined to die for their faith. And it was very difficult to defeat them in World War II, except for the atomic bomb. And so the Japanese, when you consider that culture, I was doing some reading on this recently, and you would never think or imagine a Japanese child rising up and saying, I don't want to become a Japanese soldier. I don't want to become a hero like the samurai. Every one of them were indoctrinated in such a zealot mentality that it was impossible for a Japanese child to rise up and, say, and disown his family. It would, be, it would be a heresy. It would be evil. He would have been dead. It, that's, that's how it was before World War II in Japanese culture. Well, imagine that in Jewish culture. That's how zealous the Jews were. We're going to fight for Yahweh to the death. Your blood family is what you have. All of these things is the type of pressure point context in which Jesus Christ has grown up in his earthly humanity. And then whenever, so whenever Jesus says, these people here are my family, he is striking a hard nerve in his Jewish family, his Jewish culture. Another application to think about is think of like Islam. Think of Iran, Iraq. What if an Islamic person was to stand up and say, you know, I'm related not to Islam, but to other people. It, it's very difficult to distinguish yourself outside of the culture you grow up in. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing and why he's basically sticking a thumb, his thumb in the eye of his Jewish surroundings here. 
Why is he doing this? Number two, Jesus Christ is setting new boundaries. New boundaries. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people was the boundary of the covenant community. Now, Jesus, what he's doing, he's extending the boundary to all those who listen to him, all those who do the will of God. This includes Jews and Gentiles. So now it's not the old boundaries, it's the new boundaries. There's a new family that Jesus Christ is instituting upon the earth. The new family is not identified by blood relatives. This is why John in chapter 1 of John chapter 1, he says that God gives birth and the newness comes to all believers who are born by the will of God, not by the will of man. And so whenever Jesus Christ institutes this new family upon the earth, he refers to all his family members as his mother, his brother, his sister. What does it mean by you, ladies, being a mother of Jesus? He's referring to your function in the church. He's referring to how his church oftentimes acts like a mother, birthing the next generation of believers. He, he was referring to you, church, as his brothers, as his sisters. Jesus Christ is extending his kinship to all those who have faith in him. He's extending his family to all believers from every tribe, tongue, and nation because Jesus Christ wants to extend life to everybody. But what does Satan like to do? Satan hates life. He loves to murder. He loves to kill He loves to kill even whenever it's early on. When life begins, Satan loves to start the killing process quickly. That's why here you see Satan starting to work in the scribes and Pharisees. They're starting to get Jesus, trying to corner him, trying to get him quickly. But Jesus evades them. In other words, you can say this. Satan likes to try to abort the church quickly. That's what you see in the book of Acts. He starts murdering Stephen. He starts murdering the apostles there as a church is birthed into, into society. But no matter how much death Satan tries to bring against the church, God still is using the church to promote life and extend the family. This is why as you apply ethics to the Bible and to the church, you can see how it ripples off into society. But God loves life. He loves to have children fill up the earth. <clears throat> he loves to have mothers and fathers fill up the earth. Satan will use various weapons and tools to try to kill children. This is why abortion is not, should not be called abortion. It should be called murder. The Supreme Court is trying to deal with the murder issue of murdering little babies in the womb. We can pray that the Supreme Court will push back against this unrighteous allowance of murder. But I encourage Christians not to drop the word abortion because it's a euphemism. That word abortion makes it sound good. <clears throat> it makes it sound legal. <clears throat> but what's happening is that the followers of Satan simply love murder. That's the fact of it. It's a spiritual warfare that our country has. It's a spiritual warfare on the heart issue. That's why there's so much sin and depravity throughout our, our social media, throughout our, our televisions, everything all around, because people actually simply hate God. And if you hate God... You hate life. And if you hate life and you hate God, you're going to do all you can to murder those who are in your opposition. 
It's a love of death. And death, whether it be physical or spiritual. Satan loves to kill people spiritually. He loves to take the word of God out of their hearts quickly. He loves to see if they're baptized into the church and then remove them from the church. He loves to try to create some form of apostasy where they actually reject the Lord of life. But Jesus Christ is creating a new family. And the ultimate boundary of this family is the will of God. What is the will of God? Jesus says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. It boils down to three things. The will of God is faith, repentance, and perseverance. This is what you can see in the work of the apostles. They preached faith in Jesus Christ. That's what God's will is for you. Repentance. When you sin, when you become conscious of your sin, you come to church, you confess to God, you receive his forgiveness and his assurance. But also you look forward to the future of perseverance. Many Christians need to be encouraged to continue to persevere in the faith. That's the will of God. But the encouragement is this, that Jesus Christ looks down from heaven and says, you're part of my family. You're my brother. You're my mother. You're my sister. You're my child. There's a new family that has life, has life eternal. And that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever Mark first wrote these passages, he wanted the church to be encouraged in who they are, their identity. Because Satan was trying to kill people in the early church, trying to take it away from them. Mark writes a very difficult gospel here because he he focuses on discipleship, of following Jesus Christ. And if something's difficult, what you need is encouragement to keep going. And that's what they were having to do. They were going through persecutions and trials, and they needed the love of God to know that God's will is behind them and that they're in that will. Just keep going. You're in the family. Wherever you move, wherever you go off to college, wherever you go off uh, to live or a vocation, it's very important for you to find a church family to fit into. Surround yourself with Christian friends. And this is where you see a, a, a counterfeit of family. It's in gangs. It's in all the gangs in the inner city. It's in communism, where they create different family groups. There's counterfeits of family. There's only one true ultimate family, and that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you pull away from that, you're going to find a false family. You're going to find a false gang, a false counterfeit to try to justify your actions, justify your lifestyle, justify your moral choices. This is why every person who who rejects the life that God promises, they will surround themselves with some form of death family, some form of, of identity that will try to encourage their lifestyle, their immoral choices, whatever it may be. But whenever you surround yourself with the life family, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who want to do the will of God, then you know you're safe, you're eternal. The, in, in the sense of you're, you have eternal life, the shifts of culture will change. But when you anchor yourself in the family of God, you're stable, you're secure. That's what Mark wants you to have after reading this passage. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your spiritual family, for your word and your spirit that glues us together. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will 
work in our hearts to give us a sense of the glue, the Holy Spirit that binds us, Lord, to your family in Christ, the blood of Jesus that atones for all of our sins and brings even unity between denominations, unity between those who are in different places of the world, for the church grows more and more from every generation, growing the family of God and expanding the kingdom of God. It's in Christ's name we give you thanks and praise. Amen.